Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. In the 1940s, post-war Britain needed to be rebuilt. And so... Thousands of people made the journey from the Caribbean to offer their service. The first ship, the Empire Windrush. And now, 75 years later, the Windrush legacy lives on, especially in sport. Jenkins has got Sturk there. He's got Booth inside, number four. Blissett coming in and makes it! Ex-footballer Luther Blissett spent the first six years of his life in Jamaica before finally moving over to England and he only had happy memories from his time in the Caribbean as a child. The things that I remember most about uh, growing up there, um, especially before parents left and, and came to England, was um, was just sort of idyllic sort of thing, living in very beautiful paradise, sort of like a country, you know? Going to Montego Bay to swim in the sea, um, playing on the cricket square, where actually my brother rolled a thing over and broke my left arm once. Um, you know, silly things like that that you do and just uh, chasing chickens around in the yard at your grandma and all stuff like that with your brothers and sisters. It was just, it, for a kid, a five and six year old, you just it was just fantastic. Luther eventually moved over to England to reunite with his parents who had moved over prior. And it's safe to say he was in for a bit of a shock when he arrived. So the first thing I remember when I, when I first got there was, because I think we got there in, the, in about October. It would have been about October time, so the weather then. Just I warming mean, up I nicely, mean, winters yeah. then were quite harsh, you know. Um, and I remember probably the first, within a week or so, waking up and suddenly, you know, having seen the ground outside change from, you know, you could see the green grass and that sort of thing, suddenly it was white. And to me, coming from the Caribbean, where all you saw was sand and water and all that, it was the most weirdest thing. So, you know, as a kid, you run out, you're still in your pyjamas, you run outside of the garden, and you soon realise how cold it is, you leg it back inside, you know, as you're running around in the snow. And you ask, what is it, what is it? It's snow, you know, and you end up, like most people, throwing it about, and you realise your hands get very cold, which is something you're not really experienced before. So, uh, voyage of discovery started, yeah. Waddle always goes to best his man, it's a good cross. Viv Anderson's done it. Hi, I'm Viv Anderson, ex-Manchester United, Arsenal, ex-Nottingham Forest and ex-England. Born in Nottingham in 1956, Viv went on to make almost 600 club appearances and 30 for England. But despite being raised in the East Midlands, his roots hail from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. First and foremost, my parents are the part of the Windrush generation. They came over, well, my mother came over in early 50s. There was, uh, she came over on a on a boat from to Plymouth called the Agora. 
which is an Italian ship. And there was over a thousand uh, immigrants on there at the time. And uh, she came to Plymouth, got a train to Birmingham, and then she had to get to Nottingham where her sister was. So uh, it's quite an ordeal. I don't know how long the, uh, the actual um, journey was, not from Birmingham, I'm talking about from Jamaica, but uh, it would have been a while over the, in them days. So with over a thousand people on there, so it would have been a packed old ship, I would have thought. Family is so important in Caribbean culture and Viv and his family used football as a way of keeping connected when he was growing up. My had lots of uh, nieces and nephews around me. So we used to go to people's, uh, our nieces and nephews' houses and playing football and always playing football. So um, I had a lot of, uh, lots of my, as I said, nieces and nephews around me. So we, we really played with them more than anybody else because they, they were local, because we knew them. And uh, I hadn't been at school at that stage. Once I got to school and got school friends, then it changed then. But uh, before that, when I was a lot younger, we used to play with each other on the street all the time. Luther also has fond memories of his family, who looked after him in Jamaica after his parents had moved to England. Family was always a major part, especially when you live in the Caribbean, because especially once your parents had sort of gone, gone to England, then your grandparents... Did you get left behind, yeah? Yeah, yeah, there was myself, my eldest sister, my oldest brother, there was the three of us. And we were we were left behind. Another sister, she was left in Jamaica at that time for a little bit longer, and she joined us about uh, two years later. And so grandparents took over, looking after looking after the kids. So for us, there was hardly anything apart from not seeing your parents. You always had parents because your grandparents, yeah. and you had you had cousins, you had uncles and aunts and all that around anyway. So there's always lots of family and living out in sort of the countryside, which is where um, Falmouth Trelawney is, where, where, where I brought up. It in the was, beautiful uh, parish of Trelawney, yeah. Yeah, you know, so it was it was a very, it, it, it was just it was just fantastic. And as I said as a kid, all you knew was the countryside, you know, beautiful place, um, Jamaica. And then, you know, you went down to a place like Montego where everybody wants to talk about. Now, one thing that West Indians love it's their cricket. The West Indies win by nine wickets with 17 balls to spare. But Viv recalls how when he first got scouted for Sheffield United, his family's support, despite not knowing much about football. You go back to when I started, I was on a beach, Skegnet's Beach, it was our holiday, we never could have afforded to go abroad, and I'm playing with a ball on the beach on my own. And a man comes up to me and says, oh, would you like a trial for Sheffield United? So I take this back, this per person back to me, mum and dad, and say, he wants me to have a trial. What's a trial? Well, you go to this football club and you play a game and hopefully they take you as an apprentice. So my mum and dad never hesitated for one second. They loved cricket, but football was just something you, your son played. So they didn't, they didn't stop me in one bit whatsoever. So I've got to be really, really thankful for their, their encouragement to just to try and find my path in life. And uh, it turned out to be a, a very good path. So uh, I've got nothing but admiration and respect for my mum and dad. I think they, they uh, instilled in me what we have today. Luther also recalls playing the national sport back in Jamaica when he was growing up. In Jamaica, it was it was cricket, you know, it was what we all uh, messed around with cricket. And um, it was, I suppose, first thing was obviously in the playground at school, all the kids are running around playing football. So you sort of watch on and take a bit of an interest and you join in a little bit. And uh, my first proper experience of actually playing, I would have been seven, seven year old. 
Darren Moore is one of the few black managers in the game. He grew up in a Jamaican household in Birmingham, and before playing football, he said there was only one sport for him. I was more into cricket, Hugh. I was, I was thinking... Caribbean you know, family. Yeah, cricket. Fast dad, bowling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Viv Richards and, and all, all those, you know, Courtney Walsh, all them, my dad used to sit and watch. Black players were few and far between in the 60s and 70s in England. So the perception for young black boys to make a career out of football may have seemed an unlikely dream. But Viv remembers one player in particular who inspired him to be a footballer. And with his parents' support, he made his dream a reality. Me, I never thought much of it, but clearly it was a big thing at the time because the only, the only black face you ever saw on the TV was a lad called Clyde Best, who played for West Ham United. And uh, he'd be on the telly from time to time on Match of the Day when West Ham won. Well, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't on the telly a lot. It just uh, you'd see a black face, you'd go, oh, who's that? And it was Clyde Best, and probably turned out to be a really good footballer. So me being, uh, being brought up in Nottingham, in the Nottingham surrounding areas, my dad was a big cricket fan, but he encouraged me. He took me to... Uh, football games. Um, so it, my parents, I've got to thank my parents a lot for, for their sacrifice to get me where I am today. And this must be a common theme, as Darren also had a similar experience. One day, my dad just called me in and I was um, playing out in the streets with all my friends cricket. And when I came in, he said, have a look at this. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, uh, it's a football match. And it was on the, in, in the TV and I sat down in the lounge with him and uh, I just, my eyes just gazed into the TV. And Hugh, you know, I just thought that the, the pitch that you see behind us was like a stage. And the players were performing on this stage. And it was like, um, almost like theatre-esque. And I just said to my dad, I'm going to do that. And quite ironically, the game that we was watching was a West Bromwich Albion game at the time, where it was Cyril Regis, Brendan Batson and, and Laurie Cunningham. And my dad was so interested in them because obviously we were relating to the, 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 the three black players on the pitch at the time and he wanted me to see it and he spoke to me about the three players but I just looked at the game and I turned around and I said to him then I'm going to do that dad and I think at the time I must have been eight or nine and it just lived with me since then really. Now everyone's experiences of the race divide in Britain are very different and for Viv he actually had really good memories of growing up and playing football in a predominantly white area. People talk about the, the racial tension at those times, but I was a, I was young, I don't know, 10-year-old lad playing on the streets, playing football with my, my cousins, and and uh, I was oblivious to all everything else. It was all about football, playing, enjoying yourself, as any 10-year-old would be. So uh, for me, it wasn't too strenuous growing up in Nottingham and enjoy, I enjoyed my life and my, my, with my brother and my parents, really. So I can't hark back and say, oh, it was a terrible upbringing and this happened and that happened. For me, it was all about playing, enjoying it like normal kids do. But away from football, Darren grew up in Handsworth, in a city, Birmingham, where riots broke out in the early 80s due to racial tensions. Yeah, it was quite a frightening time, really. Um, you know, being yeah, you know, at the age of seven, because the road just leaves off the main Soho Road. So at that, at that time at night, you know, you could hear the, the police um, riot vans and, you know, them coming through the road. But one thing my mum and dad always assured us that, you know, the grievances that they had, they wouldn't have it with the family houses down sort of the, off the side streets. So that, that as a seven-year-old sort of 
um, sort of settle my nerves a little bit, but I could certainly hear because um, it wasn't far away. And of course, then getting up for morning, going to school, you could see sort of smoldering cars and everything else. So it was quite um, a reality check, really. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As Viv recalls, he actually had quite an untroubled childhood when it came to racism. But as he grew up and turned professional in football, things quickly changed. With hooliganism on the rise, football stadiums were full of fans with loud voices and the ability to shout racist abuse. But the approach to tackling this hostile atmosphere was pretty direct. As Viv revisits an occasion when Nottingham Forest manager at the time, Brian Clough, gave him a few pre-match words of encouragement. You start playing football, you've got, instantly you've got, you know, 13, 14, 15 mates instantly because you're playing the same team, you're having the same time, you're, you're playing week in, week out, and you be go, there's a bond that grows between you. So it's, uh, uh, team sports are, are really good. But um, for me, no, only when I go into the professional life, when people try to put you off by saying things or making remarks about your colour or whatever it may be, that's the only time I really got to uh, to think about what, what I was doing. And um, I remember going to play um, for Nottingham Forest at Newcastle one night in a in a cup tie. And uh, I go out on the pitch. Look, uh, Unfortunately, I was on my own. And then the old stadium booed and shouted things. And so I went back in the dressing room and said to Mr Clough, who was the manager at the time, Brian Clough, and said that uh, I don't think I can play tonight. But f- luckily for me, he said to me that night, you're playing. So when the manager says you're playing, you have no option. I mean, now, this day and age, maybe if a player went to the manager and said, listen, I can't play because they're shouting this, that and the other, some managers would say, listen, if you if you feel like that, son, I don't want you to play. You're not going to be good for the team. You're not going to be good for yourself. You step out of the limelight today. But I had a manager who said, there's no doubt you're playing because you wouldn't be here if you haven't got the ability. So um, 
you're playing, so get on with it and do your best. So I was fortunate to have a manager like who thought like that and it helped me throughout my career. And as one of the few black players at the time, Luther was no stranger to abuse from the terraces either. It affected it in, in, a, in a very strong way. It made me very determined that there was no way these, um, you know, these bigots, these ignorant people were going to stop me doing something I love doing. Um, you know, because every time you went out to play football, every time you turned up, you know, people would be shouting all this abuse at you, you know, calling you all sorts of names and chucking bananas at you and that sort of thing. It was just abuse all that period of time. So for myself, I was only one of maybe a few black players then. Um, you know, it was very difficult. You had to take a stand somewhere and you couldn't really complain to anybody because the police, you know, just wouldn't listen to you. The authorities wouldn't listen to you. The football people, nothing. And the lack of support from authorities at the time meant fans had absolutely no reason to stop. I mean, you could literally walk with somebody in the street and tell them whatever regarding their colour there or whatever and you couldn't do anything about it, you know. So that's the sort of thing. And so there was nobody else you had any support with. So you had your family and friends and they were the only people really you could talk to this about. So other players going through it and yourself. Darren even recalls an assistant coach he once played under having an issue with the colour of his skin. I won't name the individual, I won't name the club, but certainly in my time, you know, um, I had an assistant manager uh, what said to me at the time that you want to go and uh, go forward and get into the first team while I'm assistant manager, you'll never play for the first team. He was wrong, because I did play for the first team, because, you know, um, I'm thankful that I had the ability that the manager saw that at the time, but that was a personal one-on-one -on -one situation with me and him, and he was an assistant manager. But um, I had a self-assured confidence in myself that, okay, um, and my elder brother um, said to me at the time that you will face it, so he, he kind of preempted me at the time, really. And I thought, OK, because being young at the time. But to have the assistant manager say that to you, you know, I kind of looked at him in a, in a, in a sort of vague but perplexed manner and, and thought, OK, and then I sort of went away. And, but inside me, I thought, well, you can't stop my talent, really, because if I'm good enough, then surely I'll get a chance. And I'm grateful that I did get a chance. That, that And I never ever said anything to the manager or anything like that, really. Mm. And to this day, I have seen him a couple of times. I never brought it, brought it up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, meet and greet him as I would because Why not? I didn't stand. I've never brought it up really. I've never, I've never said it to him. Why did he say that at the time? You know, and and I would imagine he'd be a little bit embarrassed. But I've never said that to him. Probably for the for the fact of probably that he felt embarrassed, and probably that he's looking at me today really in terms of um, the achievements that I've, I've managed to achieve in the professional game as a player. And, and hopefully trying to make my way through it as a as a as a as a black manager in the professional game. So that's that's been that, but that's something that you know I'm happy to share here and now, probably for the first time really in terms of where it's been at. So I have faced it, and I have faced it at, at a professional level. So has it hampered and dampened me in, in ways? Probably it has. Have I seen it uh, visually at the time? Probably not. Uh, because probably I'm just thinking to myself that I've just got a, a vision and a purpose to continue doing um, what I'm doing, however hard it may be. And it wasn't just fans and coaching staff that had something to say. 
Luther remembers other players on the pitch racially abusing him too. Well, on the pitch, yeah, you get it on the pitch here and there as well. You know, players, you know, especially then being being a black centre forward, mm-hmm. you know, you get these these big, burly six feet centre halves and whatever would come in there. They'd come and smash you from behind because then defect, you know, tackling from behind was was okay. You know, so they'd come and smash you from behind. So you'd be in a heap in pain on the floor, and you know, then they'd come over and say, yeah, it says there's more of that coming your way, you black so and so, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would just lay there for and have a look up and just clock their number and just think, right, I know it is. And, you know, the first chance I get, I'd, do, I'd, I'd get them back because it's the only way you could do it. You couldn't complain to anybody about it. So what you had to do, you had to show them on the pitch that you would look after yourself if they wanted to play the game that way. So if somebody hit me that, I would hit them just as hard. And then, you know, I'd say to them, look, we can do this all the game or we can just get on with football. <laughs> you know, and that's how you'd sort of deal with it. Um, uh, there was one or two occasions where people called you and called you sort of things to your face and maybe weren't violent, but they called you these things mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. could still they meant it. And unfortunately, this abuse wasn't taken seriously and players were told to just get on and deal with it. There's a lot of players which are probably far more talented than me, more ability than I had, but they couldn't cope with all of that, you know, and especially when you they complain to somebody, oh, you've got, a, trick, you've got a chip on your shoulder, or you said, no, it's only banter. Like Darren mentioned earlier, Cyril Regis, Laurie Cunningham and Brendan Batson made up the three degrees for West Brom. Now we view them as trailblazers, but some fans at the time weren't as welcoming. Sadly, you can't speak to Laurie Cunningham and, and Cyril Regis is sadly not with us now. But, you know, those players would have... I remember Cyril saying he got a bullet in the post, you know. But I was a different position to him and Laurie because they were forwards, I was defender. And, and my job was to kick the opposition and keep the ball out of the net. So maybe looked upon differently in that respect. And then I'll probably get the odd uh, letter from time to time, but nothing to go, ooh, this, that, the other. I wouldn't, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, put it that way. But we must say, it wasn't all bad. Viv actually had a really supportive group around him, whichever club he played for, and he said they became like family to him. Players I played with at Nottingham Forest when I was breaking through were absolutely fantastic. If anybody said anything to me, that they heard, they'd be straight over to them, uh, back in my corner. So I had a fantastic upbringing with the group of players I played with for, you know, for end up playing with them for ten years. You know, so we were like mates. We'd go. We 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 were a bit of a family club because we'd finish training and we'd all go out for lunch, as you know, maybe fifteen, sixteen of us, and then the ones who were married would go and pick the kids up from school, and the ones who were single stayed a bit longer and had a bit more lunch for whatever we did. So it was more of a team thing together, which was really important. And uh, and wherever I went after that, it was one of those uh, family atmospheres that I went to, the, all the clubs I played for, whether I went to Arsenal, whether I went to Manchester United, whether I went to Sheffield Wednesday, uh, they were all family-orientated clubs, and I was welcomed in with open arms, which is really important as a new player and everybody, everything else that goes with it. Luther and Viv both represented England internationally, mainly because they didn't actually have a choice at the time. But it's a decision that Viv said he would have made anyway. It's only in recent years where English-born players can go and play uh, for for different countries. Um, I've got a son at the moment who's, who's embarking on a football career and his mother was born in America, so he's going to get an American passport so he could play abroad if if he can to experience international football if he doesn't make it in the UK or in England's team. So um, in them days, you either played for England or you didn't. It's one of those. There was never really a choice. 
to go and play for Jamaica or go and play for whoever it may be, it was always England. It was always my first choice anyway. Despite both his parents being Jamaican, they still had immense pride the day he pulled on that England shirt for the first time and stepped out at Wembley Stadium. My dad and, and my mother were extremely proud. My mother couldn't come, she was a nurse. She wanted to come, but she was a nurse and couldn't get time off to come to Wembley that night on my debut. And um, she, um, my dad came and I, I remember meeting him afterwards after the game in a lounge where the, the wives and parents and everybody met after the game, the players' wives. And uh, my dad had a big beaming smile from ear to ear. So my debut was, was obviously a, a big thing for him and uh, he's very proud. But they always came to my games. I remember going playing at Wembley. My, my mum had a big Viv Anderson T-shirt on and, and I'm, I'm going to get a throw in and I see my mum with his T-shirt and I'm going, oh no, Bob, what are you doing? But, but she was obviously proud to wear the T-shirt and, uh, and uh, proud of the, her son playing at Wembley in a final. However, when presented the opportunity to play for Jamaica, Darren jumped. Again, a, a, a wonderful moment. And, and I can see my mum and dad now when I said I'd been selected to go and play um, for Jamaica and just the adulation from them. But for me as well, it was it was a real, again, a, a special moment to... Um, I always remember when, when my mum and dad took my, my brothers and sisters over for, for over to, to go and meet all our uh, family members in Jamaica. I was playing football, so I didn't get to go at the time. So, so to be called up by uh, sort of the reggae boys was the first time I landed in Jamaica. So it was just an experience to behold. And, and now it's probably one of my, my favourite holiday destinations because I, I'm, I'm, if I can, I, I try and get over there and spend some time over there really. And um, I've got a real, real um, thirst about looking at the, the, the national team and how it's going on and, and football as a whole in Jamaica really. So for me, it was a special time and to bond with those players, uh, the local Jamaican based players and to, to learn, even though I'm, I'm, I'm black, but the culture in Jamaica is very, very different, but still you're able to connect with it. So it was, a, it was a special time. As we move into a new era from when Luther, Viv and Darren played, there are now new means and new methods of racism. We only have to look at the online abuse that Rashford, Sacker and Sancho received after missing their penalties in the Euros final. Three young boys representing England, but their heritage and the colour of their skin is the first thing that some people blame when something goes wrong. One minute we're cheering Saka and doing, saying all the good things he's done in the game, which he has. You know, Marcus Rashford, another one, fantastic. Now they've got a voice that people listen to. You talk about Marcus. Marcus influences governments and what their decisions are. It's a fantastic place to be in. It's a place that I would never, Cyril and Laurie and myself and Brendan Batson, all these young players, young black players that started all those years ago, never in a million years would have a voice like that. I mean, we'd started talking about things that, that uh, Marcus has said. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be out of the, the game as quickly as we came in. So it was our way just to get on with it, try and make it forge a career. And hopefully people see us in the future and say, listen, look what they did. See how they achieved. Let's try and be what they are. So uh, I think it's uh, the social media side has has ruined the game in many respects. And I think the powers that be, there's so much money in the game now, there must be ways round with the technology to find out all these who these people are, what they're doing and ban them from football forever. First and foremost is, is you want to protect the individual, but the people who 
make that decision to get behind a, a keyboard, we call them keyboard warriors, and to try and throw out those, those insults, it's damaging, probably, it's damaging to the communities, really. It's not so much the, the individual, because the individual, we've got the support around it, and now it's become now, you almost kind of expect it now because of the, because of the media coverage. But what we have to, what I'm trying to get to those people that are deciding to vent their anger through, um, through racism, it's just um, barbaric, it doesn't need to happen for me. That's, it just didn't need to happen because, you know, you're judging somebody of, of just of the pure colour of the skin and they're trying to do as best as they can. The players don't want to miss. They don't mean to miss. But they're playing a, a, a game where they're in a pressurised environment and, and the rules of the competition will suggest that's what they've got to do. They've not wanted to go up there and want to miss. They want to um, score that goal and do as well as they can. Me as a manager, I want to do as well as I can because I want to bring... Um, good times, happiness back into the football club. So I shouldn't be judged or that player shouldn't be judged on one special moment. Because as you said, Hugh, over the course of the season, we've shown mag wonderful, magnificent consistency, history breakers, record breakers. over And that to be compelled into one moment shouldn't be justified with that. So again, it's to, to look at yourself as individuals um, in terms of going forward and, and stop and think really in terms of what might be a frustration to you, um, to the wider audience, most notably the younger ones, um, it can be a damaging one and it makes you as an individual, um, it shows up where you're at at this time. And so, we know there's still a long way to go with racism, but you can't deny how important the Windrush generation has been, not only to rebuilding this country, but also providing some of our most loved sports stars, some who we still cheer for today. And with that, I'll let Darren see us out. The Windrush generation is a multitude of our peers that came long before you and I, that had a huge impact here in England, an absolute huge impact that sort of went by the wayside. But now through technology, understanding history, we learned that just what a huge impact they had at the time and still to this existence now had a huge impact in forming this country to where it is now. And yes, it's 75 years, but it should be something that's celebrated, not just at a, a poignant time, keep 75 years, but throughout the days of our life, really. So I, for certainly for one, will be enjoying on June the 22nd, for sure. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.